So today is a bit of a transition day. Uh, it's Advent Sunday, obviously, so we're just on the cusp of the Christmas season. Uh, next week, we will dive into our Christmas series. Uh, but for today, we are going to finish off kind of this section in 1 Peter. So if you were with us last week, uh, you know we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. Last week, we, we looked at what it means to be a godly wife. And so today, we're going to do the sort of dovetail it and, and see what it means to be a godly husband. Um, I have to acknowledge the fact that there are some of you in the room that, you know, may not be a husband. You may not have a husband. You may not even want a husband, frankly. Uh, but it's good for us as a church to understand what is it that God is calling us to as men and women in the family. So uh, I hope that you'll have your ears open still to see what, what exactly does, how should this thing called marriage work from God's point of view. Uh, so to begin, I'd like to take you back to the year 2001. Uh, September 16th, that's the day that Don and I got married, uh, five days after September 11th, so a bit of a shadow was cast over the festivities, and uh, our honeymoon was kind of cancelled for, for the short term. Instead of going to an all-inclusive resort in Mexico, uh, we got in a minivan and drove down to California. We just wanted to go and do something, stayed at a very nice Ramada Inn down there, it was lovely, uh, but but that didn't uh, dampen our spirits because, uh, you know, we were, we were married. We were newlyweds. We were excited. We were in love. Uh, I would say that for Don and I, we, we weren't really the kind of couple that uh, kind of had our head in the clouds kind of love, rose-colored glasses kind of love. I think we were fairly realistic. We had we'd done a lot of preparation. We'd done a um, preparing for marriage course at the church. Uh, we you know, talked with our, our mentor couple. Uh, we had a lot of areas of agreement. We were both Christians, both believed what, you know, that marriage was a covenant, both agreed on the roles for men and women in marriage. So we kind of thought to ourselves that you know, it wasn't going to be smooth sailing, but that we could do this thing called marriage. Uh, but it wasn't long before we hit some rough waters. And the reason for that, primarily, as it often is, is because of differences of expectations Different, different assumptions, and certainly uh, we realized a, a different way of communicating. We did not communicate well. Um, I was a debater in high school, very verbal, so I kind of thought the best thing would be just to, to argue my case as much as I could, and then whoever had the strongest argument, we would go with that. Um, Dawn did not communicate that way. In fact, she, um, she kind of shrunk back from conflict and confrontation, and so uh, we begin to realize that we weren't actually really connecting with each other. I remember, I remember one of the first times I realized that this was a big problem. Uh, we were in our basement suite, Westwood Plateau. We were having a discussion slash argument. I forget what it was about, but I started to get very animated and try to explain, you know, what, why I thought the way I thought. And, and I realized at some point that Dawn had actually gone into the bathroom and locked the door. And I was on the other side of the door. And I was still trying to make my point and make it clear. And I, I kind of stopped at one point and said, you know, I don't, I don't think this is working. And I also thought to myself, I, I don't understand why this isn't working. Because it has always worked before when I wanted to, you know, communicate with someone. See, I had to realize that I didn't really understand Dawn very well. I didn't understand myself very well. And I frankly did not really understand what God was calling me to as a husband. Because I remember thinking, I know I'm supposed to lead, but, you know, Dawn doesn't even want to listen to me. How, how am I going to lead anywhere? I was, I was pretty confused. And, and that really is what our verse is about today. What it looks like 
to be a godly husband and to lead in a godly way. Uh, You'll notice that in comparison to our six verses last week, we have just one verse. God thought he would keep it really simple, short for the men. Uh, So we have just verse seven that we're going to look at. So let's do that, and then we're going to get to our our sermon today. So, uh, verse 7. Peter writes, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's our verse. Um, There are going to be three points still. And the first one, God's word to husbands... I kept it simple. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Basically, what the beginning of the verse says. Uh, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. This concept of understanding is very, very important. Um, we are to understand our wives, but also we are to be understanding in our attitudes towards them. Now, I think for most men, uh, they would say that that's simple enough. It's clear enough, but it's, it's not easy. And that's because most guys at some point in their life will say something to the effect of, I just, I really don't understand women. I don't understand how they think, how they feel, how they operate. They are a mystery to me. Many books have been written on this subject. If you remember in the 90s, there was that book, uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Very popular, millions of copies sold. Um, It was all about this idea that it's almost like we're from different planets. The way that we are wired is, is different. Uh, I'm not saying, by the way, you should get that book as like a form of biblical marriage help. We have other books if you're, if you're interested. Just, my point is that that's, the culture at large basically sees this as an issue. And even today, in our culture, when uh, many people are trying to erase the differences between genders, the truth of the matter is that men and women, it's challenging to really understand each other. Man, I'd like, I'd like to highlight for you the fact that This verse is not saying that you have to understand all women. It's saying you just have to understand your wife. Just one woman. It should be easier. Um, So the question is, of course, how do we do that? Well, uh, the original language of our verse is helpful. Because in the Greek, the word understanding literally means uh, according to knowledge. So husbands, you are to live with your wife according to knowledge. Knowledge of them. This, this helps us to see that to know someone and to understand them, of course, is, is connected. And that has everything to do with our level of, of intimacy and relationship with them. This happens naturally, if you think about it, uh, when we're dating. This, this knowing each other, um, understanding each other, seeking to understand each other. I mean, when we are dating, we're really trying to collect information. We're trying to figure out, is this person someone I want to have a second date with? And if I do, as I get to know more, do I want to marry them, maybe? And there's sort of a naturalness to it. We're actually interested in the things that they're interested in, even if we don't actually care about it. We're just interested in them. And so we delight in the things they delight in. For example, women, you know, a woman could say to a man that she's dating, how do you feel about interpretive ballet? And the man will say, well... I love it, obviously. Once I find out what it is, I will love it if you love it. That's the response. It's not manipulative. It's not false. It's just whatever you're into. I'm excited about that. I want to know about that. But what happens in marriage is that um, interest in um, information collecting tends to drop off. Uh, And it's sort of understandable why that is. You you get busy. Jobs, kids. Um, also, there's a sense of familiarity. You, you, you just kind of know each other more. You, you think you do because you're, in, you're living together. 
A husband will probably say, look, I, I know my wife pretty well. We're, we see each other all the time. I know her moods. I know when she's happy. I definitely know when she is upset, which is good. There is a level of, of knowledge, a level of familiarity. But let me ask you do, you, do you know why she's upset a lot of the time? Like, do, do you know what happened in her past that makes her react the way that she does? Do you know what makes her anxious or fearful? Uh, do you know what really kind of worries her? Do you know how to help her to get back to a place of peace and security in Christ when it's, when it's a really difficult time? More importantly, do you even want to know these things about your spouse still? Like, are you interested in getting to those deeper places where you, re you really know each other on a deep, intimate level? See, the sad truth is that it's, it's very possible for couples to live together for decades and not really know each other not really be connected on, on a deep level. Now, no one sets out for this kind of a marriage, especially when you're dating. You, you want to know each other more, but this happens naturally to two people where there are differences, maybe unanticipated differences, like I said, expectations, assumptions, the way you communicate, and on top of that, you're two people who are going to hurt each other. You're going to disappoint each other. And so the natural response for human beings when that happens is, is to build up walls, right? to protect yourself. And so you very often end up with two people who know each other in a sense, live together, are very familiar with each other, but have a lot of walls that are set up that prevent a deep connection. And walls are, are good for protection, but of course then you're isolated. Men, what you need to hear in God's word this morning is that one of your primary jobs is to help your wife take down her walls. To help get her to the point where she is she is comfortable. She, she trusts you enough to actually communicate on a deep level. And what we need to understand as husbands is we can't do that by arguing, by criticizing, by lecturing. We, we can't really do that by strong, forceful leadership. The only way we can do that is to try to understand our wives and to be understanding. This takes time. It takes a, a soft persistence. It takes a, a continual demonstration of selflessness that we really are going to love our wives as Christ loved the church. What it really means, men, is that you have to understand you're part of the reason that your wife has these walls, frankly. <laughs> right? That's, that's the challenge. You're the one who's trying to help to access the inner parts of her being, and yet she has walls up in part because you've hurt her. So a big part of godly leadership in the home is that you are willing to open yourself up and be vulnerable first. That you are willing to take down some of your walls and put yourself out there so that your wife can see that you're serious about this. That you really do want to connect with her on a, on a deep level. Now I anticipate um, some uneasiness on the part of some of the men here. Uh, it could be that by this point you're saying, see, I knew, I knew we were going to get to sharing and talking about feelings, and, and that makes me very uncomfortable, and, and fair enough. I remember there's a couple that we know, and the, the husband really just struggles with this kind of thing, and the, the wife said to me uh, once, she said, um, I, I know that if I need emotional support from my husband, I've got maybe four or five minutes of real focused concentration, and then he starts to get a bit squirrely. 
And she said, what he'll do is he'll, he'll, he'll listen. He'll be listening to me, engaging with me, and then, and then at a certain point, he'll stand up, and he'll say, honey, that, that seems really tough. That's a really difficult day, and he'll rub my back, she says. And then he'll say, you know what? Uh, probably a bit of a good idea is if you go up to your room, and you uh, pick up the phone, you call one of your friends, and you talk with them, and just get all your words out, and I'll be here waiting. I'll, I'll be watching the game, and then when you're done, we can just come and sit together, because he's just... He's not comfortable, and I get that. There are different levels of uh, capacity for emotional engagement. Sometimes it's flipped. Sometimes the men are the ones who really want to engage emotionally. Usually, though, men, uh, women, with the way God has wired us, have a, a greater desire for that, a greater capacity for that. So men, uh, just listen for a moment. What if in those times, when your wife, if you're one of those people that struggles with that, what if in those times, you know those times I'm talking about, when your wife is speaking to you, she's saying things to you, and you know that uh, what's expected of you and what you really want to do on some level is to connect with her, to be able to respond, to be able to engage in this conversation. But, but it's tough for you because at that moment, there's a lot of other things going on in your head. And one of them is the, the deep desire to just not talk about anything, to not engage, to not have anyone ask anything of you or talk to you because very often those conversations happen later on in the day, maybe after work. And at work, there's always people talking to you, asking you questions. And by the time you get home, you're just buzzing. Your head is just full of all of these words and you really want to just decompress and not talk to anyone. And you remember a sermon at some point about wives being quiet. And so you think, maybe this is the time to bring this up. But there's another voice that's probably the worst idea. So you're conflicted. You're not really sure how to respond. Man, what if in that moment you realized that actually this was an opportunity? This, this was exactly the thing that your marriage needs for you to be able to really connect with your wife. Because at that moment, she's, she's opening up a part of herself and talking to you, even if it's a superficial thing, even if it's something you think is inconsequential. You have the opportunity at that moment to actually communicate to your wife, no, I'm, I'm here for you. I want to connect with you. See, what if, what if men, even before that moment happened, you were praying for that moment? Like, what if earlier on in your day, every day, you were praying, Lord, help me to, help me to see these opportunities and take advantage of them. And Lord, help me in those moments to sacrifice my own desires for, for quiet, for relaxation, for whatever it is. Help me to put aside my wants for the sake of really connecting to taking advantage of that opportunity where she's... she's She's sharing, maybe it is something deep or superficial. Whatever it is, you are saying in that moment, no, I, I really do want to be here for you and with you. I noticed a few years ago that um, when I would get home, things would often go sour. Like, I, I wasn't sure exactly, I would come home, uh, Don would say something, I would say something, I'd say maybe the wrong thing or in the wrong way, and there would kind of be, it, it, would, it would sour the evening. And, and I, I couldn't really figure out what it, what it was but I began to realize that, that the problem was my mindset as I walked in the door. That when I walked in the door, I was still in my own head. So I was still thinking about all the things that was going on in the day. All the stresses, all the things I didn't get done, the phone calls I still should do, the emails. And so I was still kind of in my own world. And part of that was just that I just wanted to sort of not think about anything. So when I walked through the door, uh, Dawn and the kids, they became a source of aggravation to me because I didn't actually want to connect with anyone anymore. I just wanted to be quiet. But the problem was that, that there was work still to be done and that I needed to be there. So what I started doing was I started praying before I got home, like on the street, 
just on my block, I turn off the radio, and I would just pray, Lord, can you help me to realize that my work is not yet done? That in fact, there's more work for me, but more important work than anything else I've done today, and I need your help, because I'm tired. I'm kind of, would you help me just to set aside, this is the one benefit of being a man, we can compartmentalize things, push it aside, and be present. Lord, help me to be present, and it actually does help, because then when I walk through the door, I'm expecting a conversation. I'm expecting some, to do something, especially when the kids are little. I pull them apart, right? Put them in their rooms, whatever they're, you know, clean things up. I would just be active and things went better. It wasn't perfect, but things would go better because my mind was clicked into my job, what, I, what my calling was at that moment. So husbands, the calling from God on your life is to seek to understand your wife and to be understanding. Are, are, you, are you doing that? do you think? Are you, are you aware or looking for those opportunities? Um, even those opportunities where it's not convenient for you and you don't really even want to, to have a conversation, but it's there. Are, are you in prayer about this? Are you pursuing an intimate knowledge of your wife? Now, one thing that's a challenge for this is um, if you're not in the habit of it, it's, it's kind of tough to just sit down and have a deep conversation with someone. It feels artificial, right? If you were to go home and say, okay, honey, we gotta do this. Let's tell me your heart. You know, it would be awkward. So what I would encourage you to do is, um, uh, one, one strategy is just to read the Bible together. That's a great way because uh, you can, it doesn't have to be long, but you can do it in the morning or at certain times, read a few verses, and you can just reflect on it together, right? You're not necessarily, it's not like just marriage verses, just, just whatever, and the word of God uh, has this supernatural ability to divide the deepest recesses of our soul. So as we read the word and just reflect on it, you know, say things like, boy, I never, never really thought about that before. Or, boy, that, um, that really speaks to me because of this other thing that happened. You'll, you'll find yourself happening, having deeper conversations just in relationship to what God is saying to you. And then you'll get to know each other more. So just one, one possibility. But clearly, what we see here is that we are to understand our wives, that understanding starts with knowledge. Uh, but we also see is that um, it also involves honoring our wives. This is the second point. I'm going to apply it to all men, but we'll focus on, on the husbands. Um, God's word to men is simply to honor women. Uh, Peter says it like this in our verse. He says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, ladies, the honoring part sounds pretty good there, but the weaker vessel part, you probably have some questions about what he means there. Um, in the Greek, vessel, it, it means like a container. So it's used for pot, for jar. When it comes to human beings, it's our body, right? It's the container for our soul. So Peter is not saying here that women are weaker beings, weaker morally, weaker spiritually. He's, he's primarily talking about physical weakness, He's simply acknowledging the fact that, by and large, women tend to be weaker physically than men. Now, I know, ladies, if some of you here could just destroy me at an arm wrestle, I get it. Uh, especially in our day. A lot of women are stronger, physically fitter than men. Uh, but back in the day then, this would have very much been the, the case. And Peter's point is still one that we should take to heart. What he's saying is this. Men, instead of taking advantage of the difference in strength to dominate your wife, which is, which is what men sadly and sinfully have done over the centuries. Instead of using it for that, you should use your strength to honor your wife, 
to comfort her, to serve her, to protect her. See, it's telling in the Bible how often God speaks like this to men, uh, talks to them about, about the, the temptation towards domination. Uh, here's a few verses. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Then he extends it to um, parenting. Verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged or some translations say disheartened or angry. And then to the men who lead the church. Uh, we're going to see this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, Paul, uh, Peter writes, so I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, but, uh, sorry, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So this isn't a coincidence. Clearly, God knows that men have a problem with this. He knows that we, we tend to speak harshly, dismissively to our wives. We provoke our children because our discipline is too severe, so they're angry and bitter against us, that we can lead the church in a way that is overly authoritative. You see this kind of, this kind of twisted, domineering leadership all over the place. Men using their strength and authority to dominate other people, especially women. What we need to see here very clearly from the word of God is that this is completely contrary to what God is calling us to as men. Now, there's lots of reasons why this might be the case, like, like practical reasons in our lives. Maybe this is how we've been treated. Maybe this is how our dad used to behave, and so we just think it's normal. But at the core of all of this domination is that we are sinful, that we are selfish, and that we are desperate for respect. And then instead of living a life, a life that will invite the respect of others, we, we try to demand it. We try to coerce it. And it hurts people. It, it wrecks the very things that God has, has designed to be a blessing for us and for others. It's deeply dishonoring to the women in our lives and to God himself when we behave this way in an overly and aggressive, dominating way. We need to, we need to realize, though, that that's not the only way that men can dishonor women. Because men can go in the other direction as well. Instead of being aggressive and domineering, uh, there are men that can be very, very passive. See, in the ancient world, the culture leaned, I think, towards um, men taking advantage of their strength. Right? That was just kind of the idea. That still happens to this day, clearly. But today, uh, men have largely stopped trying to assert themselves at all and have become content with allowing the women in their lives to be the strong ones and to be the ones who are in control. From our culture's point of view, this seems like a good answer to the problem of, of male chauvinism, male sexism. Those are problems. But biblically speaking, this kind of behavior causes other problems. It's not that women shouldn't be strong or shouldn't be in control at times. The, the issue is that a man who is passive in situations where he is called to be a leader is still dishonoring the people in his life. He's still in the wrong. And you can see this all the way back in the Garden of Eden. This, this was the problem, right? Eve was having a conversation with, with the devil, with a snake who's tempting her. Adam was not off riding a dinosaur somewhere, right? He wasn't like away and he came back and he was like, what happened? If I was here, I would have fixed it. He was right there, not fixing it. He was listening to the conversation, not stepping in, not intervening, not taking responsibility or taking the lead as, as he should have. See, this is the challenge of godly leadership. As men, we, we clearly can't be domineering, 
can't just bark orders at the people in our life, but we also can't just sit back and do nothing. God's call on our lives uh, as men in general, but specifically to husbands and to fathers, is to be active, to take initiative, take responsibility, but to do it in a humble and gentle way. And this is, this is difficult. This requires wisdom. This requires um, humility, maturity. And thankfully, God has given us uh, a proven way to, to calibrate our hearts, to kind of shape our hearts so that we can be both strong and soft at the same time. Okay, this is gonna be our third point. This is, this is really for everyone, but again, we're gonna focus on, on the husband. So here's, here's the point. We need, we need to see each other in light of the cross. That's how we do this. That's how we shape our hearts in this way, to see each other in light of the cross. Here's how it's um, in our text. I'll read from the beginning again. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So this is speaking about the fact that if we're Christians, we are both recipients of the grace of God, that we've been redeemed, that we've been changed, transformed, blessed through what Jesus did on the cross for us. Now, the wonderful thing about the cross, are lots of wonderful things, but in terms of kind of our relationship with other human beings is that the cross is a great equalizer and a great unifier. It's important that we see that we are equal before God because in our sin, we, we tend to prioritize other sins. Uh, the sins of other people tend to seem so much worse than ours. And we can see them so much more clearly, right? So in marriage, this is a real problem because we're sitting against each other quite a bit and we're in close proximity to each other. And because of our own pride, we become blind to our own faults and we see so clearly the faults of others. And it comes out in the way we think, right? We begin to think to ourselves, you know, I'm always the one who sacrifices. I'm always, I'm always the one who's, who's giving up things so we can do things their way. I'm always the one who wants to engage and they're, they're always dismissive. We, we have this running score, this tally of sins and theirs is always so long. And we, could, we have examples, right? We're not making it up. We could tell you exactly what it is. And if you were to ask us about us, we'd say, well, yeah, I'm sure there's something that I'm not doing right. I can't really put my finger on it, but I'm sure there's something. Our, our perspective is totally skewed. What the cross does is it helps to, to reveal the fact that we are equally in need of grace. That, that together, husband and wife, equally condemned in our sin and yet equal recipients of grace. That's uh, what that phrase means. We are co-heirs of the grace of life. Remember what Peter was talking about, the inheritance we have, born again, all that Christ did for us to give his life for us, it should transform us. It should help us to see each other in a more accurate way and to see ourselves first and foremost. The cross helps us to keep a right perspective. But husbands, listen, you should be the one to lead your wife and your family to the cross. You should be the one who most readily admits your need for Christ, confesses sin, asks for forgiveness, demonstrates the impact that the grace of God has had on your heart. It's no good being a Christian family that talks about the cross of Jesus if you as a husband are not the one who is going to the cross and showing your family that you, you need the forgiveness of Jesus also. Because what happens if you talk a lot about it but don't live it 
is that the gospel becomes very unappealing. Like, like there's distance that happens between the people in your life because your, your wife is maybe seeing you at Bible study talk about things or you've got your Bible, but, you, but you're not actually transformed. And your kids hear you talk about the gospel, you have to go to church, you're, you're telling this is, this is the right way to live, but they never hear you say that you're sorry. You never ask them for forgiveness. And so they think to themselves, well, why, why would I want that if it doesn't change the people in my life? See, guys, humility is the thing that gives us credibility as a leader. The more, the more you are ready to admit your wrongs and appeal to the grace and say, look, we're all, we all need Jesus, the easier it will be for your, your wife and your children to follow your lead. Now, a question may come up from, from men, uh, which is a fair question. Well, then, so am I never to talk about sin, like of other people? Is it just, it just me? What, what if there's actually something in the life of my wife and I, I think she needs to hear about it, like it's important? Well, same thing as we talked about last week with the women. You, you can and should talk about sin. If we love each other enough, we're, we're going to do that. But it needs to happen within the context of sacrificial love. It needs to be preceded by a season of prayer. I mean, men, if you're on your knees praying for your wife daily, weekly, and you're leading, you're saying, Holy Spirit, please, I think this is something that she needs to see. I mean, I see it, but I could be blinded. If it's there, would you reveal it to her? When that conversation comes up, just like we talked about last week, it goes so much better. Because you're not the one in a domineering way trying to say, I, look, I'm going to lead you. Let me lead you to the cross. Let me drag you there myself. That's not helpful. We both, husbands and wives, need to rely on the Spirit of God. And in prayer, in humility, look for those opportunities, yeah, to talk about sin. We're not going to love each other well if we don't. But to do it in a really gracious way. Now, you might notice that our verse ends with a warning. So that's how we're going to end, with a warning. Um, here's how Peter writes it. He says, just at the end there, do all of these things, men, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's a pretty serious warning. Uh, if you think about what prayer is it, is, it is the connection you have to the ruler of the universe, to God himself. And what we're being told here is that that lifeline between you and God will be cut off to the husband who does not live with his wife in an understanding way. Why? Not, not because God is spiteful or dogmatic, but because the man who is not living with his wife in an understanding way has already closed his ears to the voice of God. Like your heart is not soft to the things of God. And the scary thing is that for that man, it's very possible for him to get farther and farther away from God and not even realize it. He may look up one day and realize that there is something wrong in his marriage. Like he can see that things are not going well. And he might even begin to pray about it. But at that point, God is not going to hear his prayers. Again, not because God doesn't want to, but because he just doesn't just want the man's voice. He wants his heart. And so if your heart is closed off to the Lord, then, then the whole communication, the prayer doesn't work. Because more than likely, if you're praying to God for help in your marriage, he's going to tell you something about how you need to change. Which means your heart needs to be open to hearing the Spirit of God. Listen, men. My hope is that by this point, in light of what this text is saying, in light of some of the things I'm saying, that the Spirit of God will be, you'll have, you'll have a sense of things bubbling to the surface, you know? That, you, that you'll begin to ask yourself, man, I wonder if, if maybe this is an issue. 
I wonder if this is something that I should be thinking about more. Maybe it's obvious that it is. Maybe, it's, maybe there are things coming to your mind uh, about your wife, right? That, that tends to be what happens. Oh yeah, that, that part, boy, she could really... Listen, don't worry about her heart, okay? God's got her heart. Your, your job right now in particular is to look at this text and think, what is it that God is calling me to as a husband? There's a warning in here. So let me use a, a warning light sort of analogy. You know the warning lights? That is, as men, we usually, we usually pay attention to them. I mean, in the car, sometimes we don't when they're blinking. But usually, on any device, any appliance, if there's a warning light, as a guy, you want to figure out what it is. You get the manual out. So here's, here's a story of a home appliance, men. This should speak your language. So this is a story about my furnace. There was a few years ago, it was not working. It was not powering up, not whatever, lighting up. And so I went down, there's a little thing, and there's a blinking LED light, so it's whatever color it was. I look, and it was a pressure switch was the problem. Okay. So I call a guy, he comes, and he's like, oh yeah, pressure switch. These sometimes go. So he opens it up, fixes it. It was quick, easy, cheap, fantastic. The furnace fired up. We were ready to go. About a month or so later, though, it happened again. Furnace wasn't working. It went down. Same LED. I called the guy up. He came back, fixed it again. Quick, easy. The furnace fired up, ready to go. I was like, this is great. A few months later, though, it happens again. But this time, I couldn't get the same guy. I don't know where. He just wasn't picking up the phone. So I called someone else. And when they came, I said, look, I know what, I know what the problem is. My furnace and pressure switches, they just don't go well together. So you need to fix that. And then we'll be able to you know, get on with things. And he says, well, if the pressure switch keeps going, it's probably because there's a problem with the pressure in your unit. And I was like, what now? What, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, there's probably, like, it's, it's going for a reason. Oh. So he looked around. He's like, yeah, I think, I think your venting here is not sufficient. I think I have to redo this venting, and then it'll be able to push the cold, damp air out of the building. And I said, that doesn't sound quick and cheap. He's like, no, it's going to cost you some money. <laughs> and I was like, well, couldn't you just replace the switch? Because before, the guy just kept fixing the switch, and then it would work. He said, well, yeah, but it's not going to fix the problem. You know where I'm going with this, man. It's possible for you to just fix the obvious thing, the, the, the short-term, quick, cheap, easy thing. In your marriage, you can do that for years. You, you can cohabitate and coexist in such a way that you're not on the brink of divorce, but you're not really connecting as husband and wife. Do you see what God is calling you to? He's saying, if you're living that way, you're, you're really not being faithful. You're really not doing your job as a husband, and you're missing. Man, you're missing the blessing that God intends in marriage. That he has brought you together so that you might know each other deeply. So that you might, so your wife would know that there's, there's at least one person on the planet that really knows her, like the deepest depths of her and loves her and accepts her and is willing to walk through the, the difficult paths to help her in that and vice versa. But it only works, it only works if you seek to interact with her in this way, to understand her, to know her, to love her, to show a consistency of humility. That, that you need Jesus just as much as she does. And that you're committed day in, day out to, to leading her in that direction. Now, uh, a word to the ladies. Like I said last week, um, this is not ammunition for you. Um, it may be that, that a lot of this, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, man, this is, this is what I've been thinking about. Boy, I'd really love it if, if he was able to talk to me in this way. And, and, and fair enough, but, but listen... You need to leave the Spirit of God to do his work. If you really want to help your husband with these kinds of things, you need to pray for him 
And you need to be the kind of woman who's easy to lead. You need to be gracious when your husband fails. There's going to be times when in his, in his leadership, whatever it is, he's, he's going to try to do something. It's going to go miserably. Um, the more that you comment on those kinds of things or come down hard on him, the more that he's going to step back. He's going to be more and more passive. He's just going to be like, it's not worth it. Or perhaps he'll react the other way, try to fight it out. What we see here is the reality that, that both of us need to be humble before the Lord. And that as we do that, as we allow the grace of God to actually shape us to be gracious people, that we can really connect. We can, the walls will come down. And it's such a joyful thing when it happens. So last week I, I said this, I'll say it again. God's blueprint for marriage is that husbands will love their wives um, as Christ did, sacrifice for them as Christ did. And that wives will submit to their husbands as Christ submitted to the Father. When that happens, the gospel is magnified. That people around you, your children, people that, that know you as husband and wife will see a difference, will see a graciousness, will see a, a humility, and you'll be able to point them to the Lord. And that's really my prayer for us. So let me, let me pray to that end now as we close. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray for, for in particular the marriages of, of Tri-City Church. I pray for those who are here, those who are maybe listening online. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to be conformed to the pattern of your word, in particular for the men, Lord. I, I pray that, that those things that are holding them back um, from really reaching out to their wives, from maybe it's, maybe it's laziness, maybe it's just being overwhelmed at work, maybe it's pain from the past, whatever it is, I pray, Lord Jesus, you please work in our hearts. Bring us to the point of, of being willing to be vulnerable, to be open, Help us to pursue our wives in a sacrificial and loving and humble way. And I pray, Lord, that there would be the reciprocal response from, from the wives in the room. Lord, that both of us would see our need for you, would be quick to confess sin, quick to extend grace to each other. And that in that, you would, you would draw us closer to each other and to you. And so I pray, please, I pray that, that our marriages would uh, be a gospel light in our families, in our communities, and Lord, that you would be glorified, that as people, as people see us loving each other this way, that they would be compelled to ask why, and that we would have the opportunity to say, look, it's, it's what Jesus has done in me. And so we pray for this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.